That's right. Welcome in. Welcome back to another edition of the Always Irish Notre Dame Football Podcast channel. I, it's just too bad it's the offseason and there's no news to talk about around Notre Dame, man. I really just wish there was more we could go over. I'm obviously just kidding. Um, here's what happened. You will notice, and people have reached out, there was no show that was posted this Tuesday morning after the Phil Yurkovic transfer to Boston College news. The reason for that is I recorded a full show after that, had a power surge at my office where the lights and everything flickered, and it froze my computer or did something to it, lost the entire episode. Gone. Then I was going to re-record it, and then all this other news happened. I figured I'd just wait a couple days and let everything settle and, and do a show covering the Reese news and the Phil news. So... I do apologize for the technical difficulty. It's ultra annoying that I almost was at the very end of a good full show and I don't even know what happened, but everything flashed and then my computer zoinked out and that was it. So I apologize for that. We have a lot to cover today. There's a lot going on and what's going on is critically important to the final portion of the Brian Kelly era. The decisions that are being made now and that have been made are largely going to indicate whether we plateau where we're at, whether we can find a way with the influx of talent coming in, if we could jump into the bottom level of the top tier, or if we're going to backslide. So these are big decisions. Everybody around Notre Dame has an opinion. Everybody has thoughts for, against, you know, just compliments, complaints, you name it, all over the board. So we need to cover all of it and go over some very, very important key distinguishing factors. Let's do it. Obviously, you could find the YouTube channel by typing in Always Irish. Subscribe. I do appreciate it. Share the link with a friend. Uh, whatever you want to do. Twitter. You can find me by typing in at JKZND4 or in the search bar, type in always Irish. I will pop up there. We are on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Those are all brought to you in part by Big Heads Media. Like, subscribe, share, review, write mean comments. I don't care what you do. I just like the interaction. So let's get into this. So here's, here's where we're going to start. Let's start with the Tommy Reese offensive coordinator news, and then we'll get into the Phil stuff uh, as a separate but connected portion of it. So let's start out with Tommy Reese being named offensive coordinator and Taylor being named promoted to uh, run game coordinator. Okay, so that's the news. And so here's where I think we need to start. Um, the process of how this was done, I think there's mixed information on, and I don't know exactly what's what or, or what it is. Whether, whether you're looking at Reese interviewing with Oregon, Reese interviewing with Northwestern, but none of those worked out. He didn't like the fit. They didn't like the fit. I don't know. 
but obviously those didn't work out. And, and so then we have this quote, national search, and it's not Moorhead who's going to, uh, going to Oregon now. It's not Philbin. It's not Munkin. Those are all names that I heard. And so somehow or another, we did this big national search. And the most qualified and interested guy they could find is a 27-year-old who's never done the job before. Okay. Like, if that's what you're telling me the deal is, I guess I got to believe it because what are my alternatives? But I see a program that's in win-now mode trying to take the next step, not a rebuild. That makes a difference to me in this situation, by the way. It really does. That's a key factor in all this to me. I would look at this situation differently if we were rebuilding or, you know, all this kind of uh, early tenure stuff and trying to get situ. That's not where we are. That provides some flexibility and a little bit of learning on the job. Notre Dame's not in that position. They're in win now mode. Take the next step now mode. So that factors into people's worry about a guy who's never done the job before. There's no room or time to learn on the fly here. So that's why people react with a raised eyebrow when you say there was a true national search and the best guy you came up with, 27 years old, never did, did the job before. So that's interesting to people. And I don't know what to make of it. I don't know whether the the national search stuff, I don't know how legitimate it was. Did you have people in your building or did you just send out feelers or like, right? Like there's a difference between here's a national search. I'm going to make a phone call to a guy's agency if he's interested versus I'm flying this guy in here to hear what he wants to do with my offense. Like there's different levels of a quote national search, but it does raise eyebrows when the best guy you could find is 27, never done it before. That is reason for concern. And that is not a personal slight at Tom Reese. It wouldn't matter who it is. That lack of experience for a program ready to take the next step, who's in win now mode, is going to cause some concern. That's all. That's nothing against Tom Reese or anybody else in this situation. The lack of experience makes people nervous. That's perfectly fair. But to really look at this, I think it's very, very important that we understand exactly where we are and exactly where we need to get. And here's how I see this. Notre Dame is finally to the point where the last three years, we are beating the teams we should beat for the most part, okay? So, so the teams we clearly have more talent than, more established program, um, we're winning those games, which is great, but it's kind of pathetic that that's the bar. The bar <laughs> that the, the bar the bar is simply winning games we should win. Okay, but we didn't do that for most of twenty five years. So now we're at a point where we're winning most of the games we should win just based on talent and roster. That's a good stable place to be. So when you look about taking the next step, here's just the most basic thing I can point out, big picture. Notre Dame does not have an offense capable of scoring enough points to win against the better teams we play. 
Okay? I feel pretty damn good about the defense under Clark Lee. I just do. I say it all the time. He's the all-star of this staff. He's the one guy I trust more than anybody else. Even this year, as bad as the Michigan game was, they gave up 17 points before the half and got a handful of three and outs in the third quarter, giving the offense a chance to salvage that game. They did nothing, had no answers, and were a disgrace. Okay? So I trust that under Clark Lee, this defense is going to be able to compete even against the good teams we play. I feel strongly about that, okay? We don't score enough points. It, one of my pet peeves is these people who brag about the offense in 2019 being the highest scoring offense in Notre Dame history, how awesome that is, how great that is, scoring over 40 points a game, okay, average. That is so naively or intentionally short-sighted that it makes my blood boil. How you could brag about that, talk about that as like a badge of honor, and ignore the fact that in the two biggest games of the year, you averaged 15 and a half points and lost. The two games, the entire season, were hinging on. The two games I had circled on the calendar for years, you couldn't do nothing. You averaged 15 and a half points in those two games. So spare me bragging about the record-setting offense. I can't say it enough. I'm sick of Notre Dame people bragging about blowing out Navy and scoring all these points against dumpsters. Where we are now, the next step is finding a way to win big games. The number one problem in these big games is we do not have an offense that can score enough to compete, period. That is not an opinion. That is a fact. Not an opinion. A fact. We don't score enough points. So that brings you to the question. Is it the scheme? Is it the execution? Do we not have the talent that what we run, we could score 8 million points against Bowling Green, but then when you play a real team with real athletes, you're scoring 15 and a half and you lose and it's embarrassing, okay? And I can't reiterate enough where these are... These are high-level problems, you guys. Like the, These are good problems to have when you're nitpicking about a team that's averaging 40-something points a game. That's a good place to be. We're looking at taking the next step. Brian Kelly's won as many games as you can win without winning anything that matters. There's only one next step. There's only one next step. Right? Because we're, we're, he's won more, as many games as you can win without winning anything at the same time. It's enough to drive you insane. Insane. And every single time people buy in or start to feel good about it, we play one of these real teams and the offense doesn't do anything. Okay? So the next step is... When you look at these big game situations, very simply, the offense is the problem. 
So what you're doing and been doing has not worked. Not interested in padding your stats against Bowling Green and Navy. Not interested in that at all. That's expected. That's what you should do. That's like me just showing up to work on a regular day and wanting over uh, wanting a bonus commission check just because I showed up on time. No, you're doing what you should do against bad teams with less talent than you. The next step is winning these big games and being able to compete offensively. So, that being said, before we get into this Tommy Reese thing specifically and I give my thoughts, I want to make two things crystal clear. Number one, nobody knows how this is going to turn out. Nobody, everybody on Twitter that loves Tommy Reese, everybody on Twitter that hates that they went this route, people in the middle that could see both sides, okay? Nobody's right, nobody's wrong right now. All you have is just your thoughts based on what you've seen. That's it. So I want to make that very clear. There is no right or wrong right now. This is all speculation. Everybody's just giving their opinions. Some of their them are well-informed and logical, and some of them are short-sighted and not. There's a lot of people who like Reese as the OC just because it's a reason to make funny pictures of him and talk about, you know, the whole Tommy Reese thing, our guy, you know, all this stuff. I'm not worried about the circus and all the fun people are having with Tommy Reese. I'm worried about being able to score more than 15 points in a big game. But nobody's right. Nobody's wrong. Everybody's just giving their opinions, and that's totally fine. But I want to make that known. Nobody knows what the hell is going to happen. He could turn into the next Lincoln Riley, and we could have a hidden gem here. Or this could fall apart at the seams, and BK starts to nudge in and take control, and then there's too many cooks in the kitchen, and then we run the same garbage we've been running and don't win any big games. I, or it could be somewhere in the middle. We don't know. So all we could do is just talk about what we do know and what we think uh, from a standpoint of logic and the facts we do have, and then we'll just have to see how it goes. So that's number one. Nobody's right. Nobody's wrong right now. Number two, and I shouldn't even have to say this, but it's come up. Even if you think this Tom Reese move was a bad move, they shouldn't have done it, needed to go from somebody from the outside. Even if you think that, and that's, for the most part, my position in a lot of ways that we're going to go over and reasons why, even if you're in that camp, you should want Tommy Reese to do well if you love Notre Dame, right? Like I've seen people literally tweeting that they just want us to lose every game and bomb out because they're so distraught over Tommy Reese being hired. Now, I'm an emotion, over-emotional Notre Dame fan, but I mean, I had people telling me, John, this is it. I'm out. I can't handle this. This was the last straw hiring Tommy Reese. I can't do it anymore. Like, I mean, I'm a lunatic and I can't even go there. So, you know, like, but I literally had people telling me, I can't handle this. This is it. Push me over the edge. So that's a little bit extreme. But everybody that likes Notre Dame should want it to work, right? Like, even if you think it's not going to, you should want to be proven wrong and have it work out because it's better for Notre Dame, which is what we ultimately all want. 
So anybody that's on the ledge or ready to just like drop off or jump off a cliff because of this, you don't know how it's going to work out. So you just got to sit back and let's see how it's going to go. Um, but I do have some very strong thoughts, but I'm going to try and present both sides of this argument because like I said, nobody's right or wrong right now, but there are some unique things here that need to be talked about. Okay, so so when it was announced Long was gone and we didn't know what was going to happen with the offensive coordinator position, here was my gut initial reaction to that news. My thought was, we're going to have the most talent that in my lifetime Notre Dame's ever had the next few years. I'm talking about elite guys, not like, hey, these guys are good for Notre Dame, Guys that would be considered elite anywhere, okay? We're going to have the most speed, talent, athleticism in the specialty areas, the skill positions we've ever had in my lifetime that I can remember. I was four when we won the national title. So that I can remember. So we're going to have all these weapons, okay? None of them mean that much. If they're not in a system and a scheme that puts them in the best position to perform maximally in the biggest environment, okay? So when I'm looking at this open offensive coordinator position, my initial thought was my preference would be to get some fresh eyes on this situation. Pull a guy from the outside that has an established offense knows what he's doing, proven it could work, high-level results, good recruiting pipeline, a guy that could come in and say, here's the guys you're going to have, here's what I do with them, this, 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 and that. We got to get this offense more vertical instead of horizontal. We got to do all this kind of stuff. That would be my preference. And the reason for that is what we've been doing has not worked. That is not an opinion. That is a fact. What the offense, the way we've been running it under Brian Kelly's system and Chip Long's system is good enough to beat the teams you should beat. When we play the good teams, it is not. Therefore, I want something different. I am not impressed by blowing out and padding your stats against all these other teams that are not good. We are now to the point where the only next step is, how do you win one of these big games? Nobody thinks you can win. And the offense we've been running hasn't been even close enough to doing that. Now, you could say to me, well, some of that's talent too. We are to the point where in a couple years, that's not going to be an excuse. That's not going to be an, a valid excuse. You're going to have talent all over. So that excuse does not work with me anymore. You got the talent. It's up to you to figure out how to make it work. So I, my preference was, give me some fresh ideas, a brand new look at how to deal with this talent and what you could do with it. Because what's been inside the Notre Dame think tank has not worked. So that was my default position. How can anybody tell me that was wrong? I don't know how you can because the facts are the facts. 
When you play the biggest teams in the biggest environment, must win games that shape your season. We do not have an offense that can compete. Period. End of story. Not up for debate. Okay? So I wanted some fresh eyes on the situation. So we could debate all we want about how legitimate and thorough this national search actually was or wasn't. Like, I mean, I've heard things both ways about it being totally legitimate and it being like halfway a joke. So I don't know what to believe. I wasn't there for those conversations. I don't know. So we ended up not going to the outside and it's going to be Tommy Reese. Okay, fine. So let's explore this specifically with Tommy. There are some pros and there are some cons to hiring Tommy Reese. The interesting part of this is some of the pros and cons are on both lists. They're on both lists. So let, let's, let's go over some of the positives here of, of hiring Tommy Reese. Number one, the players love him. Okay, the players love him. The players did not like Long. That was a bigger problem than anybody realized. It was an issue. They didn't get along with him. They didn't like playing for him. It wasn't fun playing for him. That's a problem. So the fact that the current and former players all like Tommy Reese obviously is a good thing. Okay, so that's good. He knows Notre Dame, obviously. As a recruit, player, coach, knows Notre Dame. He knows Brian Kelly. Okay, obviously, recruit, player, coach, knows Brian Kelly, knows the good and bad, everything that goes in with Brian Kelly, fine. He's also very well respected and thought of in coaching circles outside of Notre Dame. I don't care about inside Notre Dame. I don't trust inside Notre Dame people to tell me the truth because they all have a cause to protect. But when I hear from the outside that he's considered a very bright, up-and-coming offensive mind, and that comes from people outside Notre Dame, then I believe it, and that's encouraging to hear. Now, how much do I believe it? I don't know. If he was that great, why wouldn't Northwestern hire him when they have the worst offense in America? So these are the things you start asking yourself, okay? And I think those are fair questions. So, so... Those are the pros of Tom Reese. The cons, lack of experience. Like I said, Notre Dame is in elite, trying to get to elite win now mode. This is not a rebuild. This is not let's learn on the fly. No, this is win now mode. But it makes you a little nervous when you think about November next year and the matchup is offensive coordinator Tommy Reese, defensive coordinator Clemson's Brent Venables. Who do you like? Who are you putting your money on there? So the lack of experience is nothing personal against Tommy Reese. It would go for anybody. That's going to scare me. When we're in have to win big now mode, no margin for error, and we have a guy who hasn't done the job before. Doesn't matter the name. That's cause for concern, fairly. This is where it gets interesting. Some of the other negatives, he knows ND very well. He knows Brian Kelly and Brian's, Brian Kelly's system very well. But those, 
Is that supposed to make me feel good? I just went over. The last two offenses we ran, Brian Kelly's and Chip Long's, aren't good enough to compete with the best teams we play. So why the hell do I want more of that? Not interested. Not interested. I, what, good is, what good does that do me? I don't want an extension of what already hasn't worked. That's my big issue here. I don't want more of that. Oh, we average 40 points a game. Yeah, well, what are you doing that matters against good teams? Nothing. Nothing. So forgive me that I want something different because what we've been doing has not worked. So that brings me to this question. What offense is going to be run here? Chip Long came and did his thing, and Brian Kelly kind of let him do that. Now he's gone. Brian Kelly did his whatever when he was calling plays, and that was a long time ago. So where if you hired Moorhead or something, he comes in, this is his system, he's going to run it. That is what it is. It's going to be different. It's going to be new. Now that it's Tommy Reese, what's the offense? Is he going to run what an extension of what Chip Long was running? Light me on fire now and save me the time. Are we going to go back to something that Brian Kelly liked? That didn't work either. I don't want to go back to that. So that's the question. What, what is the Tommy Reese offense? I want to see something different. What we've been doing ain't working. Fact, not opinion. So that's like the first big just philosophical question I have here. What the hell is this going to look like? If it comes out that this is basically Chip Long's offense, but then some tweaks, garbage. Absolute garbage. Not interested at all. Not interested at all. So that's the big question I have is, at least with an outside guy with an established offense, you know what it is. I don't know what this is going to be, and that makes me extremely nervous because I don't want any part of this sideline-to-sideline side garbage Chip Long was running, no run game when you need it. I, I just I can't handle it. I cannot handle it. So if you want to keep a couple of the things that did work from that offense and then redesign the rest and let Tommy take the lead on it, that's the path that I would choose. But I got to see something different here. So philosophically, that's one question I do have. But the here is my biggest concern about Tommy Reese. My biggest concern. And it really doesn't have much to do with Tommy Reese. I really do tend to believe, especially with his dad, the way he was raised around football, I think he does have a really good football mind. So I don't question that. The lack of experience makes me nervous. I'd rather he went and offense coordinated somewhere else, build, build a system that works, and then bring it here. Then I'd be more comfortable with it. But I really do think he has a good football mind. Here's the part I'm most worried about, and I've gotten some pushback from people I respect in this business about this point of whether it's fair or not. That is... The power dynamic between Brian Kelly and Tommy Reese is going to be a concern of mine until I see that it isn't. And here's what I mean by that. 
Tommy Reese has been an underling of Brian Kelly being told what to do by Brian Kelly since he was like 18 years old. Now, he did have a couple years after uh, college where he went. I think he was a GA or something somewhere else, then came back to Notre Dame. But for all of his time of being a recruit, a player, and most of his career as a coach, he has been under the direction and power of Brian Kelly. My question is, how I, knowing how stubborn Brian Kelly is and, and uh, how he likes to take control of certain things at certain times. Now, he has gotten better at that over the years more recently. But I still have the fear that Brian Kelly's going to have so much control and power over Reese. If Reese wants to branch out and do something different and the one time it doesn't work, I could see Kelly nudging in and nixing it or doing what he wants, to, all that stuff. That's what makes me nervous. I think it would be less likely that Morad comes here with a 30-year history and has this offense he runs, and it's established. I think he would naturally have more autonomy than Tommy Reese is going to have due to his history with Brian Kelly. You could think that's crazy. You could think that's not real. You could think that's not fair. Whatever you want to think, go ahead and think it. But there's been a lifelong power dynamic here between Reese and BK that makes me nervous. I don't want to see any of the garbage we've been running that does not score against good teams. And I'm just worried that keeping this all in-house is going to lead to that path where we're not going to see changes or enough changes. That's what makes me nervous. And I just worried that BK is going to be pulling the strings behind the scenes and doing what he wants to do, which already hasn't worked. That is my fear. And I believe it's a fair one. When you go this route, Say you're doing this national search and then hire the kid you've been bossing around his entire adult life. It's justified. People are going to question the dynamic. That is fair to me, and I'm not going to let anybody tell me it isn't. It is a unique dynamic to this situation that needs to be monitored. This will continue to be a fear of mine until, until... Probably what the offense looks like in Lambeau Field against Wisconsin. Notre Dame should be undefeated at that point. Don't play anybody good till you go there. If I see a different looking offense against one of the better and bigger games on the schedule, then I'll start to believe things are going to be different. If it looks the same and we can't score, forget it. Garbage. I am largely uninterested in all the padded stats that are going to come in the first few games because we don't play anybody good. I will believe in this move when I see the offense look different and better against good teams. I'm looking at the Lambeau Field Wisconsin game. I'm looking at the Clemson game. And don't kid yourself, I'm expecting a dogfight out in Los Angeles Thanksgiving weekend. Okay. When I see a better run offense against those teams and only those teams 
will I believe that the dynamic here is healthy and working, which is if you're going to give this job to Reese, you trust him, you let him do what he wants to do, and you hope you can score more than 15 points in your big games. Where this program is at, that is the next fair bar. So Lambeau Field, Wisconsin is what I'm looking to. I better see something different. I better see something different. Or I'm just going to think this is a puppet move and Kelly's pulling all the strings. So philosophically, what are we going to run here? If it's an extension or a build-off of Long or BK's systems, light it on fire, not interested at all. Hasn't worked. Hasn't worked. And, and so those are my thoughts. Those are my concerns. Now, hiring somebody who's 27 years old and doesn't have the experience and doing it the way Brian Kelly did it. This, it, it's, here's the, the challenge and what's being debated. Was this an easy, lazy move like some people are saying? Like, like a safe, easy move? Or was this a really risky, bold move? Right? Like there's two different camps there. Whether this was safe and easy or really risky, it's both. Like you could stumble into the next Lincoln Riley on accident and have him at Notre Dame. You don't know yet. Is Brian Kelly going to back off and let him do what he wants to do and see what his football mind's capable of with all the athletes, speed, and talent we're going to have? Or is Brian Kelly going to cramp down on him, breathing over his neck the second one thing doesn't go perfect and start dictating stuff that looks like the garbage we've been running? So it remains to be seen whether this is like striking gold and you got on Tommy Reese early and he's the next big offensive thing in football, then this is going to work out great, right? Or it could blow up, get complicated, too many cooks in the kitchen. But you know what? I really don't see that I really don't I don't <clears throat> excuse me I don't see this flaming out because I just think there's too much structural things in place for it to flame out and be really bad I think the worst case scenario is probably more of what we've been seeing which I'm not interested in so I don't see this being a disaster no matter what there's too much structure in place for that but I need the next step I, I'm just not interested in anything that looks like what we've been doing where we can't do anything against good teams. Now, the other interesting piece of this is the Taylor run game coordinator piece of it. Now, this is a good move for Notre Dame for a couple reasons. One is it keeps Taylor around. He's becoming one of our better recruiters and does a really good job with the running back room despite not having any elite talent in it currently. So this is a good move to keep Taylor at Notre Dame, give him some more pay, more responsibility, better title. Like that's how the game's played in, in college football to keep these guys around. So, so I see Taylor's the run game coordinator. And one thing that I've been reading about is the dynamic between Reese and Taylor is a good one. Very, very strong. They work well together. They feed off of each other. They have a really, really good dynamic. It just works. There's some chemistry there. They're on the same page. That does excite me. You can build off that. You can use that as your benefit. I do like that. The part I laugh at is, so Taylor's the run game coordinator. 
Okay, well then can he coordinate the offensive linemen to actually physically block someone in a big game? Like, like that's the part of this that drives me crazy. Taylor's the run game coordinator. Well, coordinate the offensive linemen to block somebody then. Because you're running it for 40... You're running it for 45 yards a game when it matters. So, give me Tommy Reese in this magic new offense. Give me Taylor designing running plays. None of it matters if you don't block. None of it matters if you don't block. So that's a part of this I don't understand. Notre Dame's offensive line was rated second in the country in pass blocking efficiency. That is absolutely fantastic. Running the ball, 45 yards in one big game, 46 yards in the other big game, two losses. Disgraceful and pathetic. I'm not seeing any changes with the offensive line coach. So what exactly can Taylor do as the run game coordinator? Draw up a bunch of awesome plays that those guys don't block for? Is that what it's going to be? That's the other piece of this. Reese and Taylor can do all this drawing shit up all they want. If you can't run block, none of it matters for crap. And I don't see any changes with the run game. Oh, Taylor's the run game coordinator. Well, what about the offensive line? Why isn't anybody asking Quinn, why are your guys so soft when it matters? Why can't you get a third and short push? Why are you running for under 50 yards in every game that matters? So to me, that's a big issue. Reese can be Lincoln Riley. Taylor could be the best running back room coach there is. If you don't figure out how to get more physical and run the damn ball, None of it matters. So that's another big question I have. Pass blocking, fantastic. Great. Number two in pass efficiency. That's fantastic. But when you're running it for 45 yards against Georgia and 46 yards against Michigan, doesn't matter. Pathetic disgrace. So, so I just... Philosophically, I just have some questions about this stuff. But the run, run game coordinator sounds great. But if those guys don't block, I don't care what you draw up. And so one of my big offseason issues was I wanted to know what was going to happen to improve this power run game when we need it in these big moments. There was no change at the offensive line position. That's a grave concern to me. That is a huge concern to me. Because the run game is not, it's, it's horrible. In any game that matters, it's a disgrace. Can't move the ball. Can't get any push. Soft. Soft. It drives me absolutely crazy. And it seems to be overlooked this offseason. New offense coordinator, run game coordinator, great. You're going to run it for 45 yards against Wisconsin and uh, Clemson. Then you're going to lose two games. I'm not here for that. Get real. Like, I've been telling people, I hope you all realize when we're going to get all this talent and all these elite skill guys for the next th three, four years, five years, whatever it's going to be, 
People need to realize, look ahead at our schedules. Do you realize in 2022 and 2023, we play Ohio State and Clemson both of those years, 22 and 23, when we're going to have all these good guys in their prime, all this these good recruits we got coming in, this, this raised talent cap that we're going to have, 22 and 23, Ohio State and Clemson both years. I am not here to just pencil in four losses because we're playing two good teams. If that's the case, see you later, Brian Kelly. You did a lot of good things. Couldn't get us over to hump. Go retire. Let somebody else come in that knows how to get to the next level. Thank you for building this and giving us the stability for where we're at. But see you later. Retire into the sunset. It'll be good. We'll part ways pleasantly. Thank you for kind of... Um, building us some infrastructure we could build off of. But but if we're just going to pencil in 0 for 4 in these big games again, Brian Kelly's done. Retire. Go away. You got us to a point. Now we need to find a guy who knows how to get us over the hump. And if 12, 13, 14 years on the job isn't enough time frame to try and do it, I can't help you. So that's where I'm at on it. So... Overall, I would have been more comfortable with an outside guy for the reasons I mentioned, the power dynamic of Kelly taking over, and if he's uncomfortable with something, that kind of thing, um, and just somebody with more experience with an established system, I know what I'm going to get. That being said, this can work. This could be a hidden gem. This could end up fantastic. You could have the next Lincoln Riley. We just don't know. We just don't know. But... The unique things about the BK dynamic and the inexperience and all that stuff are going to be worries to me until I'm proven that it that it shouldn't be. And I think that's perfectly fair. I want Reese to succeed. I want him to do well. Uh, I want I want that to happen. There's just these hurdles that need to be overcome, and that's what I'm looking for. Show me a different offense in Lambeau Field in the first big game of the year, and I'll start to believe in this entire project. If it's more of the same, this ain't going nowhere. You're not getting over the hump. You're going to plateau at 10 wins every year. That's going to be it. Okay, so let's move on to the news that actually came out first earlier in the week that it's official Phil is transferring to Boston College. Okay, so this is what we all worried about. If you listen to this show, you know that I've been worried about this and I liked Phil's elite upside potential based on his physical attributes and athleticism. We've been talking about that this this just something's going to happen here and if he transferred, nobody would be surprised and I wish him well. Sure enough, here we are. He's transferring and he's going to Boston College. Okay? So there's there's some big picture parts of this and then some smaller picture parts to this. So here's the first thing I want to say overall. I want to clarify why I believe that amongst the people who are really upset about Phil leaving why the emotion is so strong, and I'm in this camp. And so here's what it is. The problem I have with how this is going with the quarterback situation 
is very simply that, you know, every school recruits a quarterback and it doesn't work out and then they leave or transfer or whatever. That happens to every school. And I've had people say to me, John, you're all mad about this. This kind of thing happens everywhere sometimes. My response to that is, yes, it happens everywhere sometimes. But to Brian Kelly, it happens to him every time. 100% of the time, Brian Kelly has a quarterback problem. Oh, John, what do you mean? Here's what I mean. As far as I'm concerned, Brian Kelly's at least, at a minimum, 0 for 9 in his Notre Dame tenure of having a quarterback who plays well enough to win the biggest games we play. 0 for 9 at a minimum. There's probably more guys I'm forgetting of. But you're at least 0 for 9 in terms of finding guys that can win the biggest games you play. That's the problem I have. If this was just the first or second one of these instances, I wouldn't react as poorly. But when you're 0 for 9 at Notre Dame, trying to find a quarterback who can elevate the team to play well in a big game, the biggest of games, you're 0 for your entire career at Notre Dame. So that's why my reaction's so strong. It isn't just this one situation. It's cumulative. Dane, Tommy, Golson, Zare, Kaiser, Wimbush, Book, Phil, Gunner Keel, none of them. You're all for that entire list of finding a guy that can get you over the hump. That's the problem I have. If this was just a once every four year thing, you have a quarterback issue. I'm perfectly reasonable and understand that. But it can't be a problem every single year for a decade. And it is. And it is. It blows my mind that Brian Kelly has not been able to find one quarterback who could even sniff being elite enough to raise the play of the team and, and win a big game. Not one. Not one guy on the entire list I mentioned. So that's the overall problem I have with this quarterback situation. It isn't just the Phil thing. It's the Phil thing and all this other stuff. Now you could say to me, John, that's not fair. Uh, Zare shattered his ankle. And it's not Kelly's fault that Golson had an issue in school. Like, you can say all these excuses. But ultimately, it's black and white. The kid either contributes for you and is a big winner or he isn't. And if he's not, that goes against you no matter what. That's college football. I don't care the reasons and all this kind of stuff. You brought a guy in to play quarterback in Notre Dame. It either worked out or it didn't. And as far as I see it, there isn't one of these guys on this entire list that was capable or is capable of putting the team on their back, raising the play of the entire offense, and winning a game you're not supposed to win. That's the problem I have. All these double-digit win seasons recently and all that, that, that's all cool. That's all great. But you guys need to understand, everybody needs to understand, the last time this team 
won a game they weren't supposed to win that had national implications was 2012 at Oklahoma. That is the last game of that ilk that we've won. And you're anybody really going to tell me I'm out of line for being frustrated with that? That is the last game we won that people thought we shouldn't have. Give me a break. And the irony of that is we were like 11 points underdogs and we were ranked higher than Oklahoma and we're undefeated when they had a loss early in the year. And we are still underdogs. So that's the last time we won one of these games. So nobody, nobody has any evidence to suggest that what I'm saying is wrong. That's the last time you won a big game. Give me a break. And so this entire situation with Phil is just the most recent example of this entire quarterback problem. It's my belief that Notre Dame's not winning anything that matters without elite quarterback play. I've just seen enough to know that's one of the big things missing. And I don't think we're going to get over the hump and win one of those games unless we have it. Now, notice I said elite quarterback play. Not an elite quarterback. Those are different things. For instance, Ian Book could be Ian Book, good enough to win against 10 teams we have more talent than. If he could just somehow, one of these games against Clemson in November next year, happen to play better than he usually plays, that might be good enough to compete with them. But we get in these environments and it's just nothing. Nothing. It's just non-competitive football. Michigan was like that. Clemson was obviously like that. And against Georgia, you, you, you can't even score 20 points, man. Give me a break. Come on. So, so what this Phil thing does in the short term, here's the immediate thing you got to think about. Now, you don't have Phil as your backup. Okay, so now the next thing you're going to hear is that Clark is Joe Montana because he's the backup, and it's already happened. Before, it was all this Phil, Phil, Phil talent stuff. He leaves one day later. Now it's like, oh, Clark's awesome, right? Like, And so that's just how it goes. The backup quarterback's always the most popular guy anywhere, right? I, I understand that. But now you have this dynamic where if Ian Book gets dinged, you're looking at Clark, who doesn't have a lot of experience, and then you're looking at Drew Pine, who I believe is already enrolled in school now. So he'll be with the program for spring ball and then going into next year. So that's a little tedious. It makes me a little uncomfortable if Ian Book gets dinged up. Now I don't have Phil in that deep ball I wanted to see. So, so, so that changes things. I don't think you could be aggressive with Ian Book running in these RPOs if he gets dinged and, you have, and now you're going to Clark and not even Phil. So that's a short-term issue. So the plan going forward, I don't know for sure, but I know the one I want. And the, the plan I want, and the one path Notre Dame has not taken yet, and it's their own fault they haven't, is I think Notre Dame should go with a young quarterback that's capable of playing early, let him play early, develop for a few years with all the younger skill talent, build yourself a monster. That is the one path Notre Dame has not taken. They've tried everything else and nothing's gotten them over the hump. 
So then people will say, oh, well, John, young, you recruit young guys. They're not going to be ready to play yet. Well, then that's your fault for not recruiting a quarterback good enough to compete as a freshman. Guys are doing it all over the country now. You got to find one. So if it's Buckner, let Buckner play as a freshman and grow up with all these guys and turn into a monster in three years. If it's Pine, let him do it. That's the one path Notre Dame hasn't taken. And it's no longer an excuse to say, well, you can't get a guy that's a freshman or sophomore and let him play right away. People are doing it all over. People are doing it all over. So you got to get one of those guys. And not having one that's ready is not an excuse. That means you didn't recruit good enough. Why can't the University of Notre Dame get an elite quarterback in a decade? Give me that answer. A full freaking decade, you can't have one guy that sniffs being one of the top quarterbacks? That's a total joke. So I, I don't know what the really interesting thing is going to be what happens after next year, assuming Book's healthy and then he plays next year, that following year, you're going to have Clark Pine and then Buckner comes in after him. I really want to see what that transition year is going to look like. But that's the path I want to go. You got to have a recruited quarterback good enough that he can play early and let him develop. That's the one path we haven't gone down. Why not try it? I am willing to have a, a nine and three season in there or lose some dumb game we're not supposed to lose if you have a quarterback who's a freshman. And I know there's a future down the road where that's going to help him. I can live with that. What we do now is lose all of our big games and then the quarterback's old and he's gone and then we do it again. It's not working. Try something new. There are some things about this discussion that really annoy me. And there's some takes on this that are illogical and not factual to me. One of them is, I've been asked, John, what, what makes you think Phil was capable of anything good or that you even thought he was good? Or if he was that good, he'd be playing by now. Like, what, what would make you even think that he's that good to begin with? Well, to answer that, I have a Brian Kelly quote from 2017, quote about Phil, quote, I think he's the best quarterback in the country. He's someone I could put up against anyone I've ever seen. So if you want to tell me, oh, who, the, who built Phil up? Maybe that's just in your mind and all this stuff. Brian Kelly said it. Brian Kelly said it, best quarterback in the country, maybe the best I've ever seen. And he couldn't sniff significant playing time at Notre Dame behind a three-star quarterback. I got a problem with this. Something's wrong. Something's wrong. So no, there is no sugarcoating the situation. Every excuse you want to make for why this is happening falls into three categories. All of them. One, Brian Kelly's just full of crap when he says things like this and doesn't really mean them. Two, they misevaluated Phil and how good he was. That's a recruiting mistake. Or three, you did a poor job developing him. Every excuse you want to make of why we're in this situation 
falls into one of those three categories. Either Brian Kelly just talking to talk out of his ass. Two, you misevaluated the kid in recruiting. Three, you didn't develop him. Every excuse falls into one of those that all circles back to Brian Kelly's desk. And I said this on Twitter and I had a guy say, well, you're forgetting about number four. Number four could be maybe Phil just didn't get it. It just didn't click. And, he, and he's just not as good as, as we thought he was. Okay, that's not number four. That's number two and number three. That means you misevaluated him. You thought he was going to turn out to be the best quarterback in the country, and he couldn't even complete, compete for playing time. So that's a misevaluation. If you're going to put this on Phil and say he wasn't doing what he needed to do to develop, that still goes back to you misevaluating what you had in the player. It does. There's got to be accountability here somewhere. So any excuse you want to make, you either misevaluate the kid or you didn't develop him. So, so the way I see it, especially when you have the poor track record Brian Kelly has of quarterback development at Notre Dame. Again, not an opinion. It's a fact. Okay. When you have all that, people get mad when this happens. Why are none of these guys working out at all? It's a problem. Yes, it happens to every school sometimes. Why does it happen to us every time? That's an issue. The other problem I have is it's not either or with this. It's not like just because I wanted Phil to stay there and compete and be good, it means I hate Ian Book. If he's the starter, I want him to do well. But it's healthy to have a good guy behind him in case he gets hurt or so that we can find a, a better guy when Book's gone. It's not either or. I don't want Book to fail if he's the starter. I want as many good guys to create competition at that position and depth as possible. So that's stupid when people say, oh, you're all about Phil. Why do you hate Book? I don't hate Book. I want him to do well. But I want as much competition in that room as possible and as many options, high-level options. Another stupid-ass argument people are making to me, which is just sickening, honestly, um, is when I talk about Notre Dame needing elite quarterback play to get where we want to go, and I, I tweet that, I, I've had multiple people tweet me, you're an idiot, your point's invalid because A.J. McCarron won a championship without being elite, and Dorsey from Miami in, what, 2000, 2001, they did it without being elite, so that proves that you're wrong. This couldn't be a more short-sighted perspective. If you're going to tell me the Notre Dame roster is going to look like the ones McCarron had at Alabama, you can win without elite quarterback play. If you're going to tell me the Notre Dame roster is going to look like 2001 Miami's roster, you can win without an elite quarterback. Notre Dame's never going to have anything close to either one of those rosters. That consideration's baked into the recipe already when I'm having this discussion. It's inversely proportionate. 
the more overall elite talent you have in the program, the less of a great quarterback you need for high-end results. And if you have an elite quarterback, he can rise the play of the guys around him to make up for some gaps. So that is a horrific argument. Clearly, if Notre Dame had the Alabama talent or early 2000s Miami, there wouldn't be as much pressure on the quarterback to have to be elite. That's the whole point of this entire discussion. It astounds me people don't see that. Notre Dame's never going to have those rosters. They need the quarterback to be a reason they're winning. Bottom line. The other, the other response I get to this is, well, John, geez, I mean, this is kind of a tough bar because most teams and most quarterbacks play bad against the best teams they're playing and the best defenses. Clearly, I understand that, but that doesn't mean it's not the goal. Like... I just can't understand being like, yeah, most teams struggle against the best teams. Just be happy to lose to the good teams. No, where's your compete level? You want to be one of those teams. Just because that's such a loser argument, man. Well, most teams don't beat the best teams, so it's okay. That doesn't mean that's not your goal and you're not building to try and do it. You want to be one of those teams people talk about that have trouble against you. You got to get over to hump first. That's the point of all of this. So my position on Ian Book is, obviously I want the kid to do well. I respect him. He's tough. He's gritty. He guts it out. He loves Notre Dame. He plays as hard as he can. All of that stuff I respect and I admire and I like. He's just not an elite talent. And that's not a rip on him. It's, he's just not an elite quarterback. Bottom, it's just That's the bottom line. And the program's now at a point where that might be what it takes to win the games we've been losing and to get us over the hump. And so I don't hate Ian Book. I want him to do well. I want him to win all the games. The issue is... The, the, the issue I'm in right now is after 2018, the, the pervasive, the, the thought was, well, next year, Ian Book will take that next step. That, that was the thought. That'll get us over the hump, win us the big games. You know, the offense will take the next step. The problem is that didn't happen. That didn't happen. You lost the two biggest games you played. And one of them was Ian Book's worst game against a team that there's no reason for it to be that way. So if you want to talk to me about the last six games and the bowl game, everything was great. That's that's cool. You're, you're beating teams you should beat. And you get less credit for winning games once your season's effectively over for anything that matters. So spare me that after we lost our two biggest games of the year, things started getting good. Who cares? Where'd it get you? It got you the Camping World Bowl. So, so that's the struggle I have is this was supposed to be the year for him to take the next step, take the top off defenses, stretch the field, win these big games. Didn't happen. He struggled early. So that's the concern of mine because now I'm supposed to 
blindly believe next year's the year that's going to happen? What's that based on other than you want it to happen to feel good about Notre Dame? It's not based in evidence. So that's the issue I have immediately going into next year is I was told those jumps were going to be made and I didn't see them. So if you want to talk about next year, here's what worries me. So you want to sell me this positive narrative that another year in the system, it'll be Ian Book's third year. That's the time we're going to ramp up here. Okay, here's the problem I have with that. I just covered a few minutes ago how Notre Dame was the number two ranked pass protection offensive line in the country last year. So then explain to me why with the number two passing protection offensive line, Ian Book went from last year, 68% completion percentage, good for ninth in the entire country. Then he has the second best pass protection in the country. And he goes down to 60% this year, dropping him all the way to number 71 in completion percentage. Now, the reason this is such a big deal to me is last year I could wrap my mind around Ian Book struggles to make some of these reads and progressions and stuff, but he makes up for some of it by being so efficient as a top 10 uh, completion percentage passer. And there's value in that. But now the stats are telling me that he's not an elite talent and his completion percentage, which was his most redeeming feature, has dropped him to 71th in the country when he was ninth, and he had better pass protection this year than last year. Those are not opinions, you guys. Those are the numbers. So based on those facts... And the fact the offensive line has trouble running the ball against anybody with the pulse. You tell me, other than because we want it to happen, what is the statistical argument that tells me we're going to see Ian Book be able to compete with Clemson and definitely beat Wisconsin, beat Louisville, which is going to be a tricky game next year, and then go to LA and beat USC in the Coliseum to end the year? Statistically, I struggle to see this path. Now, I want it to happen. If he's going to be the guy, I support him because what other option do I have? What other option do I have? He's the guy. He's the starter. I want to support him. But statistically, I'm struggling to see the logical argument that tells me that we're going to see this big ramp up when he had better pass protection and regressed from top 10 to 71st in the category that made him his best. That was his biggest attribute, and it dropped from 9th to 71st. That worries me, you guys. That worries me. So I support him. He's the starter. Great kid. Notre Dame guy. I love him. I, I want him to do well. But the numbers here are very concerning to me. And, and so that wrapped in with the uncertainty with the power run game wrapped into the uncertainty of what the structure and philosophy is going to look like under Tommy Reese, all of this stuff are my worries. And I feel like they're grounded in fair and rooted in fact and logic. I don't feel like I'm flying off the handle with anything I've discussed today. I really don't.
One thing that I do want to monitor, I don't want to not mention this because I find it super interesting. I read that Phil is petitioning the NCAA to not have to sit out a year and play right away at Boston College. I wonder what his excuse is going to be. Everybody knows that the transfer portal is a total sham, total joke. The NCAA is a disgrace as an institution as a whole. And what this has come down to with guys like Justin Fields and some other guys, if you have the right lawyer, you could get approved. And if you don't, you don't. So I'm really interested to see what angle Phil's going to take to petition to play right away. I jokingly said on Twitter, his hardship should be documented and approved if he just says, I'm a high-end quarterback trying to develop under Brian Kelly. To me, that's a legitimate hardship that should be approved because it ain't going well. So I said that on Twitter and a bunch of people got mad at me. I thought it was funny. I would approve that. Give me the stamp. Approved. Good quarterback trying to develop under Brian Kelly. If that ain't approved, I don't know what is. Tell me it's not true. Tell me the one guy who got better and better and better as long as he was at Notre Dame. You can't because there isn't one. 0 for 9. A couple more things I wanted to touch on. Um, one is the championship game, which seems like it was like years ago, but it was this still this week. Just an incredible run by LSU. Ultra impressive what they've been able to do. Um, it shows you if you have an elite quarterback, then you can take it all the way to the top. I mean, I don't know what else you need to see between Clemson and Lawrence. I know he had a rough night, but he already won a championship last year as a freshman, by the way. All you people who think it's impossible for freshmen to play, not only did one play, but he won the championship. So give that a rest. That's on you if you don't recruit one that could do it. Okay? So that's a horrible excuse for Notre Dame people to use. But you saw what elite quarterback play can do. The other thing that's important to me is I hate pretty much everything and everybody. Uh, really, generally speaking, everything annoys me, especially with college football. There's so many things I don't like. I cannot find a reason to not like Coach O. He seems humble, just kind, humble, nice to be around, down to earth. Like, like a, For a guy at that level, about as regular of a guy as you could find, um, he comes off as genuine. And the love his players have for him and he has for them shows. And I really love it. I love seeing that chemistry. And and they had a magical year, man. I, I don't know what else to tell you. But when you look at the overall roster talent and depth that was on the field for that championship game, and then you look at Notre Dame, you got some work to do. You got some work to do. And the good news is, you're going to see if you've made any strides because guess what? Clemson's coming to town next November. So you're going to be able to gauge if you've improved enough to make a dent in the gap between you and Clemson that existed when you last played them. The really interesting part of that is they're going to have the same quarterback. So that's a good standard case here for us to measure if we've closed that gap. The problem is, from that, the time period of the Notre Dame-Clemson uh, playoff game till now, 
Notre Dame's recruiting has ramped up. So is Clemson's, though. And they were already light years ahead of you with high-end skilled players. So that's what you need to be paying attention for big picture when you're looking at that scenario. Just to give you, I want to give you guys some perspective here. And I really want you to think about what this says and what this means. Let me read this to you. Brian Kelly's defeated two teams that at the end of the year finished in the top eight in his over 10-year tenure at Notre Dame. 2012 Stanford, 2013 Michigan State. Those are the only two teams in over a freaking decade that he's beaten that ended up ranked in the top eight, okay? Compare that with LSU this year who beat five of the ending top eight this year alone. So if you want to talk about big time winning and the job Brian Kelly's done and all this kind of stuff, keep that in perspective. LSU's done it five times in one year. Brian Kelly's done it two times in over 10 combined. Let that sink in. The final thing that I wanted to go over is the final AP uh, ballot voting. Now, obviously, largely this doesn't matter because if you're not winning the championship, who the hell cares where you're ranked? But where I do think it's useful for is to just gauge the overall national respect level your program has from the outside. That's about the only value I find in the AP poll today. Okay, And what you found was Notre Dame finishes out of the top 10, only the third P5 or Notre Dame team to have two losses and be left out of the top 10 all time, and the only one to not lose their bowl game and do it. You're behind a four-loss team and every other two-loss team in the final AP voting. That's important to me. It tells me that right now Notre Dame is getting and has earned no national credibility or respect whatsoever. None. None. How can Notre Dame be behind a four-loss team? Double the losses you had in the shortest regular season in sports. And you're behind a team with double the losses of you? And you're behind every other team that ended up with two losses. That is telling you and showing you you've earned no respect. You were out of sight, out of mind, out of Mich- after Michigan. And so there's work to be done here in the public perception arena. And the only way it's going to change at this point is to win these big games. That is the only next step. There is no other in between. That's it. That's what it has to be. One more note on this. You all know my disdain for ESPN, how disingenuous they are, how everything's narrative-driven for what makes them money. Okay, everything I don't like about them. Go, there's a, uh, somebody who, I don't know who it is, tweets out the actual AP bullet ballot from every voter, and it shows you where they placed each team in their final votes. Do you want to know who had Notre Dame past 15 in their rankings? 
Reese Davis, the guy that you all love to watch Saturday mornings on the big ESPN game day. You all think he's great. That's what he thinks of you. So you wonder why I don't watch that show? Here's a great example. That guy has you about 15th in the country. And that's the guy you all worship every Saturday morning. Got to drink my coffee and watch Reese all morning till the games start. Absolute garbage. Yes, Notre Dame has not helped their own case by collapsing in every single big moment the last 10 years. That doesn't help things. But 15 from Reese? Give me a break. So think about that. The next time you think that show's great, everything's on the up and up, they don't have narratives, they're told to drive for conferences, they get money from. You guys really believe all that on a Saturday morning? Give me a break. You got to grow up and start looking at this stuff with more of a, a straining eye here. I don't watch that program. It's garbage. The only thing I do is go on Twitter to see all the best signs each week. And I could do that without watching their narratives and Desmond Coward up there pushing for Michigan. I don't need that in my life. Notre Dame football is stressful enough without me having to get mad at these. I was going to say something bad with these guys that have their directives and what they want to push. They're not going to go off of it. This is not random or week to week or, or on the up and up. There's always an angle. There's a, it's a business. There's always an angle. And the angle don't help Notre Dame. So I don't support that garbage. Oh, I want to circle back on one more thing about the LSU and Coach O stuff. It's the most USC Hollywood thing ever for it to leak out that a part of the reason they didn't keep Coach O was that the people in power there didn't like the way he speaks. That is the most USC Hollywood angle of all time. And I'm glad it burnt them. I'm glad he's doing what he's doing. And it's just hilarious, USC's role in this entire situation. And it came down to the people in power not liking his Bayou accent. And that's how it is. That's how shallow it is in California out there. That whole, that whole area can earthquake and fall into the Pacific as far as I'm concerned. So good for Coach O. Okay, so that's going to be it for this show. I do have a couple other things planned, though. One of them is I'm going to do a show with Nathan Erbach from Slap the Sign. He's my go-to recruiting guy. I respect his opinion. He does great work, a lot of research, and I, I totally dig what he's doing. Him and I disagree on a lot of structural things that have to do with the Reese situation. I'm going to do a show with him, and my hope is that we could disagree on things, but both provide logical reasoning behind both. That is the most healthy of all discussions. I want to have it. I want us to naturally, not fake, not for the show, I want us to naturally disagree so we could argue about some of this stuff. That's coming up soon. Also, if you're on YouTube and you look up college football stuff on YouTube, I'm sure you know of Mark Rogers TV. In my opinion, he's got the most well-produced and thorough college football program on YouTube. He does a ton of research, no biases, covers every team equally. 
He's really, really good. Him and I are working on doing something together. I think I'm going to end up going on his show talking Notre Dame. That is something I'm really, really excited to do because I respect the hell out of all the work and effort he puts into his channel. So look it up if you don't know it. It's called Mark Rogers TV. He does all college football stuff, covers all the games, all the teams. So get familiar with him and then wait for an announcement for when I'm going to join him and talk some Notre Dame football. That being said, talk to you later.